Welcome back to Drunkenly Paranormal, your dose of debauchery in a dastardly drunken podcast. I'm your host, Salem, and I'm joined as always by my fellow paranormal investigator, Harlem. What's up, dude? Oh, living the dream, bro. Just lifting, getting big, getting swole. Getting swole so you can punch vampires square in the dickhole. Yep. And rip their fangs out. Oh, rip their fangs out with my pinkies! Uh, sorry guys if you hear me periodically coughing or trying to clear my throat. I'm getting over a bug. Um, I'm getting over a pretty nasty cold. Uh, fortunately, I'm on the mend, but it's going to give a little nice gravel to my voice. But it's also going to mean occasionally I cough, and I'm sorry. Still sound like the same little bitch <coughs> to me. Yeah, whatever. But we got a soldier on because it's been a few weeks since we put out an episode. We completely blew past Halloween. Which I think is like the second year in a row we meant to do something on Halloween. Like we meant to go to the Manger Hotel and rent a, a, one of the most haunted rooms and actually stay there. And we've never actually done it. But that should be something we look at doing. Uh, if you're joining this podcast for the first time and are perhaps wondering what you stumble across. Maybe you're wondering who these two idiots are or what this podcast is all about. I'll tell you. Where the paranormal investigators believe an open, expanded, and possibly even an inebriated mind is necessary to unlock life's mysteries. At the end of each episode, we'll vote to decide if something paranormal is going on or if it's something you need to be drunk to believe in. Harlem, I know for weeks and weeks and weeks now, I've been teasing the JFK episode, uh, being like, that's going to be the big thing we build to. Um, And I want to thank our listeners for their patience. I've read a couple books about it now. One of them is completely crazy about an alternative theory to who shot him other than Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, And y'all's patience just means that I have more time to do research, which just means... I can build a better episode. I'm just going to ask you to be patient a little bit longer for that one to come out. Uh, so I want to say thank you for letting us air the episode at the right time. You know what they say, it's always better when you wait longer. That's true, yeah. Good things come to those who wait is, uh, I think, the expression. Uh, since our last episode dealt with conspiracy theory, I didn't want to go from uh, did Hitler die in the bunker right to who killed JFK because I feel like two back-to-back conspiracy theories, it kind of takes – some of the punch away, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we're going to get back to our roots. Um, and to instead, tonight, we'll be getting back into a truly horrifying account of demonic infestation that terrorized a family for over a decade. Demons, love it. Let's go. Get your salt out. Get your salt out. Get your fucking, uh, what's that tattoo? Do you know oh. the name of the tattoo the Winchesters had? Uh... Some kind of star, right? The burning star. Oh. Something like that, I think. I don't know. Dude, also, did you know they started a prequel series about John and Mary? No, I did not. I watched the first episode, and the chemistry between John and Mary just does not work. It feels like very, very forced. It just feels... Anti-possession tattoo. Yeah, an anti-possession tattoo. That's basically what the internet's saying. But I'm excited to get into this particular case. First, because your boy just plain loves a good old haunting case. And the second reason is because it brings in a couple familiar faces from two previous cases we've covered, the Warrens. Now, if this is a baseball game, shit, neither, the Warrens are on strike, too. Both, we did Annabelle, and I think we did uh, the Stendecker family haunting. And in both cases, we determined that you have to be drunk to believe the Warrens. So this, this could be what saves them from striking out. Uh, or it could be what sends them back to the, the dugout because it may be strike three. Sounds like dugout mode, but let's hear it. So Harlem, you're of course familiar with Ed Lorraine Warren. Ed being the famous self-taught demonologist and his wife, 
clairvoyant Lorraine, who made a career of helping people deal with the paranormal. Yeah, some bench warmers. Are you, tr- are you trying to tie it back into the baseball metaphor? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, all right. I like it. Our interactions with the Warren cases in the past have really not set up them, set them up for success here. Uh, as I mentioned, we reviewed Annabelle and recovered the Semecker family haunting. In both cases, the Warren failed to impress us that what they were dealing with is actually paranormal. They failed to provide evidence. They failed to substantiate any of the things they were claiming that they experienced. However, today's case case might just help break that poor record and might add some legitimacy to the Warren's names. Ready to dive in? A hundred percent. Let's go. Let's dive right in. On today's episode of Drunkenly Paranormal, we'll be investigating the Smurl family haunting. Have you ever heard of them by, by chance? Yeah, the Smurf family. <laughs> the Smurf? No, not the blue people who live in uh, mushrooms and trees and shit. The Smurls. Oh, I like mushrooms though. <laughs> I mean, I like them on pizza. <laughs> Yeah, that too. (laughs) All right, the Smurls were a family of four. Mom, uh, Janet, Dad, Jack, and they were parents to two girls, Dawn and Heather, at the the time they they moved in to the house. The family had recently suffered a literal force of nature type tragedy in the form of Hurricane Agnes. The hurricane had flooded their previous home in 1972 and forced the family to relocate. Jack, who was extremely close with his parents... Wait, where do they go? A yellow mushroom? (laughs) No. Oh, like the okay. pizza place? No, I'm just because, you know, they live in blue mushrooms. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they got to relocate. So they do something I think you'd actually be interested in because you're always talking about buying real estate. Mushrooms? <laughs> no. Jack buys a duplex. So he's oh, like, shit. Okay. So he's like, me and my wife and my two kids can live in one side. My mom and dad can live in the other. All right. All right. That sounds cool. So they buy a duplex for all of them to live in at 330 Chase Street in West Pitson, Pennsylvania. Now, the duplex was originally built in 1896 on a quiet street in a lovely middle-class neighborhood. Jack and Janet decided that they would take the left side of Jack of the house and Jack's parents would take the right. Did they go up a hill? Oh, Jack and Jill. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I, or Janet. It's Janet and Jack, but yeah. I, I don't know why. I Dude, I spent hours researching this and that never clicked. So, kudos to you. Uh... So they move into the left, their parents move into the right. And since the home was built... Up a hill. Or since they move in in 1973, the home's already almost 100 years old. It becomes pretty clear that they're going to need to do a fair amount of renovations to fix up the home. Pretty much as soon as they start moving in, they get going on those renovations. For the first roughly 18 months that the family's in the house, they don't experience anything out of the ordinary. Life goes on. Jack's work is going well. The girls seem to be adjusting well to their new school, and Janet is soon pregnant with twin girls, Shannon and Karen. Thank God no one fell down the hill. <laughs> yeah. Dude, also super unfortunate name considering how Karen now is synonymous for, like, a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's their daughter? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Karens. Uh, that's what came out of the story. <laughs> with a growing family and a thriving career, you might think Jack and Janet would be com- Completely like just kicking it back, taking it easy, but no. Chilling on mushrooms. Chilling on, on mushrooms hill. on the hill. Uh, the that's probably mushroom. why they fell down the hill, because they did the, the mushrooms yeah, and yeah, fell yeah. down the hill, yeah. And then they had fucking Karen. And then they, <laughs> then they had fucking Karen. Uh, anyways, so they're, they're active in the community. Jack founds and then coaches a softball team for the girls. He's also the secretary of the local Lions Club, which is a charitable organization for men run by his church. 
at the Catholic Church, the local Catholic Church. His wife is also really involved in their church community and is the founder and the president for the Lioness Club, which is the same type of organization but for women in the Catholic Church. So they're trying to run the town. They're trying, yeah, they're basically trying to set up like a church-level power couple mafia type situation. Uh, and if you want to look, Harlem, there's a picture of the family. And for those of you, before I, I show it to Harlem, this is peak 70s like attire. Mom and dad are both wearing those big, thick-rimmed, our dad would call them birth control glasses that look more like goggles. Uh, the two older daughters have hairstyles that look like they got in a fight with a blow dryer to perk up. And the two younger daughters, Karen and Sharon, both look like uh, miserable. I mean, I don't really know how to describe them, but... Looks How, like looks like we got Jeffrey Dahmer up in here. He does look Dahmer-esque. Mixed with yeah, Nancy from Supernat uh, Super. What uh, what is that show with the kids? Uh, in eleven. Oh, uh, Stranger Things. Stranger Things. We got okay. Nancy Botwin from Stranger Things. Dating Jeffrey Over Dahmer the with right. a thicker mustache. Yeah, and. Uh, All right, the two older daughters. Let's go with the one with the definitely permed. Frizzy blonde hair. How would who does she look like that our viewers can picture in their mind? Like a typical white blonde girl from the eighties. Yeah. Picture any like hair metal groupie. That's what she looks like. That's like missing a chin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what about the the brunette sister? Uh, dorky, curly brown, uh, big old glasses. Oh, turtleneck. You're, you're you're thinking of the the two younger ones. I was thinking of the the older brunette sister to the left of mom. Oh, to the left of mom. She kind of looks Asian, low key. She, <laughs> she does. She looks adopted, honestly. Yeah. Like she, the the other three sisters look alike, and then she's like, "Hello, I'm Helga the milkmaid." Yeah, like this is our transfer <laughs> student up in here. Yeah, we got her from Mongolia. <laughs> She looks straight up adopted. We'll put we'll put it on the, uh, Instagram so y'all can see it. Hey, but she's rocking a it looks like <laughs> a football sweatshirt. It says eats. No, but like look at the logo to the right. That's a football. Chargers? Maybe. I'm not familiar as with the Maybe? team. I don't know. Alright. I, I like how I have have here in my notes Harlem, I think it would be an absolute riot if you describe the family. And I feel like that was actually pretty funny. Uh, so nice. All right. So this, this typical 80s or 70s family by the looks of them, one day seemingly without any explanation, this carefree, lovely home that they're renovating and they're happy in changes. Drawers to kitchen cabinets inexplicably open on their own. A radio in the home that was not even plugged in suddenly blares music at top volume. A rocking chair sways on its own, and Janet can hear odd footsteps when she's alone in the house. Sounds like demon shit, for sure. It's, it's, well, see, here's the thing. Like, the, I think the Warrens are right in saying that like, a lot of demonic activity starts really low-level and fairly innocuous. Like, you can explain it away. Until you start giving it attention. Until you start feeding it, yeah. And I feel like, right now, they're not reacting to anything, and so the activity's fairly low-level. Um, and it's... It's not overly violent. It's not very noticeable. And it, it would stay that way um, if, if they didn't feed into it. But you No, know, maybe it's because they lived on a hill and they built their house slanted. Or they're high on mushrooms all the time. 
That could be it too. Another important thing to point out is all this activity to this point in time is easily explained away. The drawer is open, you simply forgot to close it when you left the room. The radio isn't plugged in, it must have a backup battery supply and someone turned it on. The rocking chair, easily explained because the house is crooked or maybe there's an air conditioning breeze, you know, blowing or a breeze caused it to sway. The footsteps, it's a duplex. The walls are thin, as anyone who's lived in a duplex knows. It could simply be Jack's parents moving around from the other side of the wall. So they're hearing footsteps because their in-laws are moving. Yeah, could be that. That's very true. In an interview where the Warrens discuss the case with their son-in-law, uh, Ed is quick to point out that this is how most demonic infestations begin, like we just talked about, with low-level, easily explained away actions. But the incidents don't stay mundane and easily explained away. They gradually increase in intensity and become harder to basically come up with like logical explanations for. It's not long after this activity starts that the family begins to smell a strange and foul odor in the home. Marijuana? <laughs> no, not marijuana. It would appear seemingly without explanation in different parts of the home, then vanish. Sometimes it would linger, even seemingly follow them from room to room. One afternoon, Janet and Jack had recently completed renovating a bedroom and had closed the door to allow a fresh coat of paint they'd put on the walls to dry. When they returned, they found that their efforts had been dashed. Claw marks now appeared along the walls as if a wild animal had been trapped in the room and thrashed at the walls as a means to escape. Despite these new odd happenings, the family still chose to explain away the experience. The odd smell? Well, it's an old house, and the family is doing most of the remodeling on the home themselves. Maybe some pipes need to be replaced, or maybe the ones they did replace, they didn't seal them properly. Maybe when they closed the room off, an animal did come in through an open window and scratch up the walls until it could get out. What was the time frame of this? So this is about 18 months after they moved in. So no, like year-wise. 1974-ish, we'll say. Okay, well, there's a picture of the family. Why are there, like, pictures of this, like, shit taking place? You raise a good point, and I don't want to, like, dash a later bit uh, in my notes, but I know, like... Actually, I know it's in my notes. Let's let's just table, like, where's the photographs and where's the evidence for later, okay? All right. Cool. All right. Now, if you had experienced this activity, are you explaining it away, or do you think that's... Do you think, marks, I'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, that one's a little harder. You know, if I walked in and saw that. That one's a little harder. Were the sure. windows open, you said? I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's possible if they were painting, you know, you leave the windows it would open. Make, it would make sense, the air. and then I would close... This is just me, like, thinking it through if I were doing it. I would close the door so the kids couldn't get into the room where the paint was drying, and I would leave the windows open so the fumes wouldn't build up, one, and two, so the breeze would help dry the paint. Yeah, and, like, also there's, like, usually, like, covers over windows, you know, like, screens to keep bugs out and shit okay. like that. Okay, so... You know, typically, or something, I feel like, maybe. And the family doesn't mention if one of the screens was busted out, and my research doesn't reveal if uh if they didn't have screens so i don't i don't know but really do you think it's legitimate for this family up until this point with everything they've experienced to be like yeah this is just it's weird but it's easily explainable or i it, doubt it's an animal that's just weird at this point are you thinking, probably see the animal if it was freaking out that bad it probably would have gotten high and passed out or something 
That or nearby, or like you hear it. Yeah. Like if it's a raccoon or a cat, it's probably gonna scream or freak out when it thinks it's trapped. But they don't hear any of that. They just come back and things are ripped up. So do you think that it's actually? Let's let's go back to the odd smell real quick. Do you think that's easily explainable? Sign of demonic. Well, yeah, it's a sign of demonic activity, you know, but like sulfur, rotten eggs. But do you think right? the explanation of like, oh, it's an old house, old pipes, maybe some aren't sealed properly. Also, they're doing a lot of the renovations themselves. Maybe they didn't seal them properly, and that's just where the smell's coming from. Do you think that's a legitimate, like, rationalization of what they're experiencing? Foul smell. It could be something going bad on the other side of that house, too. You never know. Very so, true. I don't know. I mean, there's... So you're the saying it's not beyond the realm... Like, they're not crazy for trying to explain this away with everyday occurrences. Or being naive by trying to explain them. I mean, if it disappears quickly, then that's a little weird. Uh, then I would probably think, like, maybe, you know, you're just, it's in your head. You know, you're not, you're smelling something weird. Okay, so. You know, that could be a health thing. Where do you land on the, the question? Uh, I'm going to go, like, what's the question again? The question is, like, are they being naive for. The smell? For all of the things. Explaining them away as, like, they have a logical outcome. Like the smell, not the room, but the smell, maybe. And what about like drawers being open, the radio, things like that. Drawers being open, not so much. The radio, um, I feel like is also typically like something like demonic possession or demon, just demon activity. Like that's gonna fuck with that shit, you know. So if you're in their position, you're already thinking demon. I'm not thinking demon just based off the signs of what like I know just to be demon activity typically. That's, you know, you're the one who suggested that to me earlier. I I wouldn't know what to think if I were this family in this situation. Okay, all right. That that's that's really the question I was getting at is like, I feel like a lot of people, and this is going to come up later because this activity goes on for twelve years before the family tries to seek help. A lot of people are like, well, why didn't you leave, or like, why didn't you call for help sooner? And that really, what you said really gets to that point, is like, they tried to explain it away. Like, like nothing's too freaky yet, the drawers, maybe just unevenness, and I would put like, if that's the case, I would be putting fucking locks in front of my drawers, drawers? so they can't just open automatically. I, and then, before, if, then if they open, I'm going to be like, oh fuck. Dude, before I hit that point though, out. I would make it like, almost like an OCD tick, where I'd be like, I'd make sure all the drawers were closed, and I'd touch them closed before I left a room. So that way if I came back, I'd know there's no way in hell that drawer could be open. And then I'd be like getting a level and like checking the floor to see if there's like a slant. That's how I was with Lovick almost. Really? Uh, and my house did get broken into at one point. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the story. But let's get back to the case here. So we're saying, and I agree, it's not out of the ordinary for them to explain this away. Yeah. More stuff begins to happen. There's reports of odd stains appearing in the carpets and walls. Um, and disappearing, or like no, the the the, comp the 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 family, uh, Jack and Janet, they paint over a stain in the wall, and it comes back. Um, and that's not like super uncommon because mold will do that, or if there's a water stain behind the wall, right. that'll happen. Uh, but uh, Lorraine Warren talks about how there was this like one stain in the shag carpet. 
and the the couple like ripped it out and they like checked underneath and there was no sign of like water damage or anything like that and they replaced the carpet and the stain comes right back mm. that's weird that's weird for sure yeah well all of what is just occurred I would call low level activity okay What's but thing, things are about to ratchet up so one day Janet is home alone she's working down in the basement of the home She's folding clothing, fresh from the dryer, when she hears her name being called. It's really, really soft at first. She almost misses it entirely. She stops what she's doing, she lowers the towel she was folding, and looks toward the basement door. At first she's thinking that one of the kids, maybe her husband or even the in-laws have stopped by. She stops what she's doing and she waits for a few seconds, standing motionless, waiting to hear if one of her family members calls out for her again, or she hears footsteps, or sounds of someone above her. When she hears nothing, she goes back to what she's doing, when suddenly she hears her name again. It's louder and closer now, and she's convinced that someone for sure is calling her name. Janet now gets the heavy presence, or the feeling of a heavy presence in the basement. A heavy presence that to her tells her she's no longer alone. She can feel the hair on the back of her neck begin to rise, and the goose flesh raise down her arms. As she peers out in the seemingly empty basement, Janet! This time, it's the loudest and most clear of all. There is no explaining this away. Something or someone is calling her name. What do you want? She calls back, seemingly to nothing and everything all at once. The voice calling her name ignores her question. Janet! 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 It repeatedly calls. Completely freaked out by the incident, Janet hurries out of the basement and up the stairs and makes a beeline to where she keeps her rosary beads. As soon as they are in her hands, she begins to pray the rosary over and over. Ed and Lorraine would point out that this event caused a shift in the haunting of this home. Before, when things would happen, the family would explain them away and move on about their day. Now things have changed. They are no longer trying to find a logical explanation of what they're experiencing so they can get over it and forget about it. In fact, they're beginning to fear whatever is inside the home that causes these strange occurrences. This is an important shift for the worms because now whatever they're dealing with is going to feed off that fear. That is going to make it stronger and the terrifying experience for the family are going to get far worse. And we talked about that earlier, like that, that idea that if you're feeding into the, the events, that you're, you're fueling the fire, so to speak. Yeah, she's definitely feeding into it for sure. She's, uh, especially though she's going for the rosary. But at the same time, like, what would you do? Like, you can't just ignore someone screaming your fucking name. That's kind of hard to do. What Either I do, way, you're going to be feeding into it if you respond to it. Well, you just sit there while it screams your name and keep folding the lottery? No, what I, what I do is, I don't know if I'd immediately go for like religious protection, but I'd certainly go for physical protection. Like I'd go get a gun and I'd look through my house to make sure no one's inside of it. And then I would go next door to my in-laws. Either way, if, you're feeding into the fear of it. Right. Which but, is the exact same thing as feeding into it. Well, I'm, I'm, checking, I'm checking the place out. And then I'd go to my in-laws and I'd check to see if one of them was calling me. These are both like, these are, these are both activities that are like, I'm looking for religious protection. Uh, acknowledging that what is occurring is not uh, of this world. Like I'm, I'm still acting, a human did this, I'm reacting to a human. Instead of, I feel like going for the rosary or like a crucifix is like saying a human's not doing this. 
I'm going for religious protection. I feel yeah, like I don't demons. Have a rosary. That would not be my reaction. My reaction would probably, if I heard it in my house, would be get a, get the closest weapon. For yeah, sure. it would it would be get a gun for me. But honestly, uh, do you remember the the Annabelle Michelle or Annalise Michelle case? It was the exorcist, like the real story of the exorcism he did way back in season one, almost two years ago now. Um, somewhat, yeah. Yep, of uh, course. There's, there's that, like, passage where she's being exercised and the priest is asking her, and it's like, is the rosary a weapon against the demonic? And she's like, yes. Like, the demon speaking through her, like, yes. So you, you're saying I wouldn't reach for that as a weapon, but like in the okay. in the plane of spiritual warfare, especially with this really strong Catholic family, it is a weapon. Shit, maybe I need to have one around this home. Shit. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> certain, you got you got a gap for gangsters, and you need you need a, a demon or a angelic gap for demons. That sounded so horrible. <laughs> Uh, anyways, exactly like the Warren predicts, the Warrens predict, um, it does signify a change in activity. The family then now begins to hear random thumping from inside the walls. Appliances in the home are turning on, even if they're not plugged in, and some even spontaneously are bursting into flames. The family is also beginning to What's see... What's bursting into flames? Like, okay, there's a story where, uh, they buy a TV and it's not even plugged in and it lights itself on fire. Okay, shit. That's and then weird. Jack Jack buys a new car, and he drives it home, and he's like, I want to show it off. And the radio in the car goes haywire, and then it lights itself on fire. Okay, okay. So in addition to this, like, spontaneously combusting appliances, the family is also beginning to see things out of the corner of their eyes. Shadow figures darting from room to room. There's one instance when Janice is home alone. She'd just come up from the basement with a load of laundry and entered the family living room when she didn't seize a dark human shape walk quickly across the room and through the adjoining wall with her in-laws next door. Janet promptly drops her laundry and leaves the house, dead set on telling her in-laws what she just experienced. When she enters her in-laws' house, she finds her mother-in-law sitting in the living room chair, eyes wide open, fixed on the adjoining wall. As Janet begins to explain what she just experienced, her mother-in-law stops her and tells her, Oh no, I saw it too. The figure had erupted from uh, their side of the house, and into her living room before vanishing, vanishing without a trace. What do you think of that? That's fucking wild. They saw it at the same time. Well, we would call that cross corroboration, wouldn't we? What? We would call that cross corroboration. Well, there's two witnesses to yeah. seeing it in so. two different buildings, seeing the same at the thing exact same at the time. exact same time. You know what? I had a very a very similar moment like that when uh, when I was at camp with Drew. Oh, the the camp we were talking about. Mm-hmm. All right, well, Drew, what what happened? Um, I'm sitting there on my bed, you know, and uh, like I'm like it's in the uh, it's in the cabin that's closest to the flagpole at the camp. Okay. Um, and I'm sitting there at the corner, like when you walk into the right, and I'm sitting there on my bed, upper bunk bed. And the right side or the left side of the cabin? Right side. Okay. You walk in. Right, okay. Right side I, know, I know what you're talking about now. Right side, right side cabin. And there's only two people here, and it's me and Drew. And Drew was in the bathroom. The counselor? Drew M. This is like way back in the day. Yeah, yeah, the counselor, not the Drew we were thinking of that can read minds. The counselor. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, and anyways... Um, 
I'm like fucking with my feet at the time, just looking down. He's in the bathroom. There's the doors both closed, and you know how they have the square? Yeah, the the, the porthole almost in the door. Yeah. I swear to God, I look up at one point, and there's the left one with light coming through, and the right one that's completely blocked with, I swear to God, what looked like a shadow figure standing in front of it. And I look back down at my feet, and I like it clicked in my head what I saw, and I quickly look back up. And there was nothing there. And I'm freaking out because I'm like, oh, my God, I swear to God. And, like, the light was coming back through the window. And I was like, I swear to God, I thought I saw something standing. So it was like something eclipsed the light from the window. Yeah. And, like, Drew walked out of the bathroom and I told him exactly what happened. And he was like, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. And I'm like, dude, why, why are you telling me that? And he's like, because I thought I saw someone looking at me over the stall. Oh, shit. And I was like, what the fuck, for real? And he was like, yes, like, for real, for real. You know, I've heard recent reports that the new, like, hotspot is the, the big new cabin that was just built there. Like, the people that live above it have told me that they hear random voices and footsteps coming from downstairs to the point where they were convinced there was a squatter. So they, they went down there one night and they locked the whole place up so no one could get in. And they made sure they went through all the bunks, all the bathrooms, the quiet rooms, made sure everything was like closed, locked up, no way anyone can get in. They go back up to their apartment and that later that night they still hear like voices and footsteps coming from downstairs. So the next morning they go back downstairs, they unlock the door, sure enough it's still locked. The quiet room door in the back. On the uh, the green side, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Is open and the lights on. But there's no indication that anyone, like, all the doors are still locked. There's no way anyone could have gotten in and out of the building, but they could still hear it. And I'm like, that another one of uh, the counselors this summer told me something s- similar about sleeping in there. And they're like, you know what? If there's one other person in there, you don't hear a damn thing. But, like, if there's, if you're in there by yourself, you'll hear footsteps and weird weird stuff so that I we got way off but the, the yeah. point of this case but yeah uh, great point on cross corroboration also I would love to do a case about that particular camp in a way that didn't say what it was okay. like what it actually was yeah. but let's get back to the case at hand it's a porn star camp yeah, it's a point. It's a, for porn stars. Yeah, well, that's why we. That's Where why. you learn to fuck? <laughs> fuck on camera. Now, what's strange about this is like, we've got shit randomly lighting on fire. We've got shadow figures now. We've got knocks. We've got people screaming your name. Weird smells. The family would endure this for thirteen years before. For, they, wow. Before they ask for help. And it's not until the night of one of their oldest daughter's confirmation that things actually take a violent turn and the family's convinced they need help. What was it? So just as a quick aside uh, for our listeners who are maybe not familiar with confirmation, which is a Catholic sacrament, to enter the church, uh, you're first baptized as a baby. But confirmation is like young adult formally accepting that they will be a member of the Catholic church as an adult. It's a big sacrament. And after baptism, first reconciliation, first communion... It's the next step in a young Catholic growing up uh, that a young Catholic growing up in the church takes. On the night of one of the older girls' confirmation, Janet is in the kitchen helping pin on her confirmation stole. And the confirmation stole has like 
it's your new middle name. It's it's you typically take it after a saint, uh, and it will become your name as far as the Catholic Church is concerned. I think mine's Nick. I don't actually remember mine because I'm a bad Catholic. Uh, but Janet is in the kitchen. She's helping her pin on the stole, and above the kitchen table, there's a chandelier just like yours that's on like two eye hooks, mounted into like a beam. And, okay. And without any warning, the chandelier suddenly unhooks itself from both hooks, narrowly misses Janet and her daughter, and it falls, exploding on the floor. Now, the timeline of this, with it occurring on the night of her confirmation, makes me wonder that if it was a demonic entity, this is this way of stopping the young woman from formally entering the Catholic Church and receiving the sacrament of confirmation. What do you think about that, the timing? Being the night of confirmation. It did what to stop her exactly? It basically tried to kill her by dropping a chandelier, chandelier? on her, but it oh, missed. Okay. So what do, you, what do you think here, Harlem? Do you think that the timing of it, the, this, the attacks turning physical, if you will, being on the night she's supposed to receive confirmation indicates this has got to be for sure demonic. Something demonic is st- trying to stop her from receiving this important sacrament. Um, I think... Um... I don't know if I would say it's, I mean, maybe that's the cause of why it's trying to do that. I don't, you know what? If you're trying to take over someone, right, are you going to kill them? Well, if, if like you didn't, if this is a last ditch effort to stop you from receiving the sacrament, which would make you harder to take over. And, so and maybe the demon being be like, like, all right, instead of me not being able to take over you, I'm going to no, kill you. No one gets you. It's like, if I can't have you, no one can have you. So I'm going to kill you right here and now. It's a little harsh, but I feel like that demon would rather do something to take over the person rather than... Yeah, there's that whole cycle. Kill them, infestation, you know? oppression, or is it oppression, infestation, possession? There, yeah. there, there is a cycle to it, for sure. Fair enough. But are you... For me, this is like the first suggestion that this is something that could be demonic. Because I don't believe in coincidences. A chandelier that, like, the Warrens would go on later to say uh, that maybe, the fam- Maybe that, it was just doing it to build the fear. That, that could be very true. But the, the family would go on to tell the Warrens, like, uh, Jack's dad is really handy. He comes over and he looks at the chandelier and he's like, there's no way in hell that slipped off the eye hooks. Because the eye hooks are still in the, like, the, the uh, beam. So it's like something lifted it up and threw it down, almost. And he's like, there's no way that could have happened. For me, the yeah. timing of that being the night of confirmation, it seems like whatever this thing is, maybe it wasn't trying to kill her, but it was certainly trying to stop her from receiving that sacrament, which ultimately would make her harder to possess. So that's, for me, this is the first suggestion that like this is actually demonic. But I don't know if you agree with that. I mean, they're probably all confirmed too, right? The demon's still fucking with them, so I mom, just, mom I just and dad, don't like saying that's the reason. No, but mom, mom and dad are, okay? Uh, the two younger daughters aren't old enough to receive confirmation. And I think it's the oldest daughter, so like, it's her turn to be confirmed. Like, remember... Does anything else in this story happen to the oldest daughter? I think... I don't... I'm, I'm not, this case isn't as fresh in my mind. But like, this is a big sacrament that they're about to receive. All right, so after this freaking uh, chandelier falls, things only get more violent in the home. One evening before bed, Shannon tells her mother that she's not want to go into her room because at night, there are people that float through her room. 
So I'm glad I refrained earlier when you were asking, like, does stuff happen to the older daughter? I would tell her to quit looking at porn. <laughs> well, I, I just called Shannon the older daughter, but she's one of the twin younger daughters. And uh, iPads aren't invented. Like, porn is not as easy to come by in the 70s or the 80s as it is uh, now. <laughs> oh, my bad. Uh, so Jack and Janet here. Tell them, her to go to sleep. She's <laughs> tripping. That's exactly what they do. They're like, just they try to dismiss it to keep her from being scared. They try to calm her down. But Shannon is insistent that she sees people in her room at night. So Jack and Janet try to explain Shannon's experience away. But it's not until they begin to see a figure out of the corner of their own eyes in their own bedroom that they really begin to believe Shannon. The shadow figure quickly is like, you're not just going to see me. You're going to feel me. And he turns violent. Janet would later report being hit and slapped by unseen figures. At one point, she's walking down the hallway towards her bedroom when she's suddenly grabbed around the throat by something that is not there. Its icy fingers wrap around her neck and begin to choke her. Frantic for help, she calls out, and the family dog, Simon, a German shepherd, tries to come to her aid. As the dog bounds for her, it's suddenly picked up and flung across the room by an unseen force. Oh, shit. It's all Janet can do to escape from the grip around her neck, and when she does, she staggers over to Simon to check him over. This time he's all right. But from here on, it seems whatever the spirit in the home uh, that's there has a special interest in Simon. The dog is constantly targeted many more times by whatever's in the house, teleporting him from room to room, hitting him, and torturing the dog. Like, there's one account uh, that I read... I would fuck this ghost up. There's one account that I read that, like, they make a point of putting Simon in the backyard... And he's teleported like through the wall, and now he's in an upstairs bedroom. And it like terrifies the dog. And yeah, I completely agree with you. As a dog owner myself, I'd be pissed if this happened. I'd be yelling at this thing to come out and fight me. I'd be fucking like shooting at walls. Someone come after my dogs, dude, that'd be the end of their goddamn life. Yeah, how would you feel if your dumb dog saw a chicken and chased after it, and then the owner of the chicken kicked your dog? Uh. I would tell that dude, if you touch my dog ever again, I'm going to put a bullet in you. If he threatened to kill my dog, I'd be like, you can try. No, you're, I'm not going to let you hurt my dog. That's not happening. I don't care if my dog killed your chicken. I'll buy you a new chicken. You're not hurting my dog. <coughs> All right. Sorry about that. Well, Jack and Janet are pissed. But the thing is, is that they're all being treated this way, not just Simon. One night, one of the girls is reportedly taken out of her bed and flung down the stairs. The family is all being randomly hit or grabbed. Jack recounts a time when he and Janet were lying in bed in one another's arms when suddenly something unseen grabs Janet and attempts to pull her off the bed. Jack, realizing what is happening, hangs on to her and tries to keep her on the bed, but this thing is steadily pulling her. He's in a, like, tense tug-of-war with an unseen force that's trying to remove Janet from the bed. And then it, just as suddenly as this like pulling contest starts, it stops. It's after all of this, the family is like, okay, we need some kind of help. We can't explain this away. What we're doing, we're, we're going to church, we're praying for it to get better. It's not working. There's something here. We need to do something about it. So right, naturally, they, they go to their local parish and explain what's happening. But the parish tells them they should just pray on it and that there's nothing more they can do. The family is stunned. They're super Catholic. They're super involved in the parish. They cannot believe that the parish won't do anything to help them. Still, they know they need help. They're getting desperate. 
So they expand their search to a local college where a professor is hosting two paranormal investigators. And the professor allows them, uh, is allowing these two paranormal investigators to give a talk on what they do to one of their classes. You want to guess who the paranormal investigators are? Um, porn stars? Nope. <laughs> I took a big gulp because I thought you were going to be like the Warrens and I'd have time to like have a drink. No, you know it's the Warrens. Really? <laughs> so after the talk, Janet goes up to the Warrens and is like, look, this is what's going on in my home. And the Warrens agree to come back with them to the home and check it out. Once back at the home, Lauren explains that she's a psychic medium and needs to walk through the home. The family agrees to let her do this, while, and while she does, Ed sits Jack and Janet down and starts asking them some pretty fucking personal questions, dude. Do you have plums? No, he'd be like, how often? He, he asked Jack, he's like, uh, have, you, have you stepped out on your wife? Like, uh, are you religious? How much do you drink? Do you have a history of mental illness? Uh, the questions are thorough, and some podcasters have likely pointed out that the subjects are deeply personal, but I, I actually think Ed is on the right track here. He's he's trying to rule out, is this a like a mental illness thing? Is it a result of like you're drunk and you're hallucinating? Um, if you're cheating on your wife, maybe you're making all this shit up to end the marriage. He's attempting to logically go through a list of things that you can explain this away with and tick them off. So the only thing left is the paranormal. After Ed completes his questioning, he pulls out a recording of Gregorian chanting which is a way monks pray by like seeing the same phrase or passage from the Bible over and over again. Uh, he sets it down on the coffee table and he hits play. Almost immediately, the two heavy bay doors that separate the room, the living room that they're in from the, uh, I think the dining room, they begin to vibrate and sway back and forth quickly. Now I watched Ed like giving an interview where he's explaining this with Lorraine and she quickly makes a point by saying in the interview, that it's not easy for the doors to do this because one, they were very heavy, and two, the room had shag carpet, which if you were gonna move the door, it required you to pick it up and slide it over. So for them to be vibrating back and forth really fast. Yeah, that's was, crazy. Was a, just a crazy amount of force. It's not long after this that Rolaine returns from her walkthrough and sits the family down. She has some bad news for them. The family home is inhabited by four residents that are not part of the Smurl family. Four? Four, yeah. The first is rather benign. It's the spirit of an old woman who's seen it. She doesn't know why she's here or who these strange people are around her. The second is less benign. It's the spirit of a younger woman who Lorraine warns the family is prone to violence. She might be one of the shadowy figures that has been inflicting pain on the Smurl family and the dog, Simon. The third spirit is also warning. It's the remnants of a young man who discovered his girlfriend in bed with a man. After killing them both, he took his own life. Oddly descriptive. How's she picking up on this? Remember, she's a psychic medium, so she's claiming she's able to like divine this by walking around. It's the fourth spirit that's the kicker. It's the one that Lorraine is most apprehensive to share that she discovered to the family. Because the fourth spirit was not, nor has it ever been human. And an inhuman spirit is a fancy way of saying a demon. In this family's position, Harlan... I thought demons had to be humans. Uh-uh, they were never never human at any point in time. So the original demons, uh, not in supernatural lore, were angels. There was a big civil war in heaven where Lucifer tried to lead a re rebellious faction of angels against God. 
And when they lost the war, they were all cast down into hell. So demons are inhuman spirits. And some people speculate, certainly supernatural lore speculates, that uh, the reason Lucifer was so mad at God is because he liked his latest creation, humanity, a lot better. So they, they enjoy creating pain and havoc on God's favorite creation, humans, but also every soul they turn away from the light is one that winds up in hell that's in anguish with them. If you're in this family's position... Okay. That's what how it, demons are created. That's how demons are created. So what are, you, what are you thinking if you're this family and you've just been told, hey, there's three ghosts. The first one's okay. The second two kind of suck, but there's also a demon. What are you thinking? You fucking moving? I mean, you can't move away from a demon. That shit's probably following you, right? Yeah, if it's feeding off you, it's going to follow you, for sure. So it doesn't matter where you go. But at the same time, I'd also be wondering, like, did this demon fuck with these other people? Or was this just a coincidence the demon came here? You know, no, you're, you're absolutely asking the right question right now. Because... Uh, that I mean, that's spot on. Like, why why is the demon here? Like, because maybe if it's not, if it's just there and it's been there, maybe you could move away. So Ed. But if it's targeting you, that's different. Ed has an answer for why the demon is here. He says it's a combination of factors. The first one is that the family is strictly Catholic. Okay. Oftentimes, I've heard priests say that the closer you get to God, the more likely you are to encounter the devil. So by being pious, that's crazy. That's you're, crazy. you're like, the more religiously pious you are, the more the devil feels like he has to personally intervene in your, your faith journey, if you will, uh, to draw you away, to make God seem less powerful than he is. The next reason Ed explains that the family encounters the demonic is that it's an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power over the demonic, which feels like a cop out to me. Uh, and the final reason that it explains the family is experiencing this horrible haunting is the daughters are entering puberty. That's gross. Yeah. Well, I think it... So Ed explains... So I listened to a couple podcasts about this, and there was this one podcast I listened to where this lady was like an ultra-feminist, and she's like, yeah, these women committed the sin of bleeding, and so they have to be... They, of course, a demon would come. Oh, and, I'm thinking the demon wants to breed with these young kids. Oh, um, that's the exact type of fucked up logic a demon would have but I think Ed actually has a point when he says like puberty is a time of high emotions hormones and if you're looking for to eat off of a diet of like anger and fear puberty is a great fucking time for that um, it's an atmosphere of quick tempers and that's exactly like I said what a demon want to feed on Ed summarizes the demon would likely occupy had likely occupying the, the home all along but was not powerful enough to really manifest itself, and it's only after the family begins living in fear and the charged emotion that it gained uh, from, you know, the charged emotion of puberty that it gains its powers. It may explain that why the activity was so low level for so long, and that it would stop for weeks at a time. The rain goes on to explain that the first three spirits were being used and manipulated by the inhuman spirit in order to scare and torment the family. The Warrens are quick to add that what the family needs is an exorcism. Oh shit! The first who's three. In, who's infected? The the house. Oh, they need okay. to exercise the house to drive the shit out. Okay, I thought someone was like. No, no one's possessed yet. When they sound like when I think exorcism, I'm thinking someone's possessed. You know. Yeah, I mean that's a great way. That's a great point, but I think exorcisms are people or objects. Is 
I feel like it's different if you're banishing from a house. That's not an exorcism, is it? That's like a... That's something. I mean, I the like effect is the same when you stop and think Essentially, about it. yeah, but I feel like it's a different term, maybe, but I don't know. Fair enough. Could be wrong. So the family... Probably wrong. The Warrens tell the family, like, first three spirits, they can be dealt easily by praying, but the inhuman spirit needs something stronger. The Warrens assist the family in reaching out to the local parish, but again, they're refused. The church is not convinced that what the family is experiencing is truly demonic. Come and check it out. Nope. We'll pray for you and hope for the best. They won't even come to the house. This is not enough for the Warrens when they hear this. They believe the family needs help now, so they reach out to a maverick of a priest named Father Robert McKenna. McKenna is a maverick because he has refused to abide by the recent Vatican II Council decision to begin saying Mass in local languages, but instead only celebrates Mass in traditional Latin. He's going to get excommunicated. He has worked with, him, with the Warrens before and has helped them resolve similar situations, so he agrees to travel to the family home and perform an exorcism. Father McKenna comes to the family home. He's armed with a rosary, his Bible, and holy water. He then proceeds to go from room to room in the home, saying prayers, anointing each doorway with holy water to drive the demon from the house. The family would go on to say later that when the exorcism was done, the home smelled of roses. Relieved, the family moves or feels they have finally cleared this oppressive spirit and can now come on with their lives. Their reprieve is not long-lived. When the demon returns to his demonic activity a couple weeks later, it's far worse than before. Janet will report that she was molested at one point while she was sleeping. They wanted to bring with the kids. That's the wife. But guess what? The wife? Oh, shit. Okay. The demon swings both ways. Oh, fuck. Because Jack would recount a similar case of sexual assault. Jeez. Jack said that one night while he was laying on the couch watching a baseball game, the demon appeared in the form of a chimera of a sort. It had the head of... a what? Chimera. The fuck is that? It's like an amalgamation of different things. Here, I'll tell you. It's the head of an old woman, the tight, because he described the tight body of a younger woman, but with the skin that had scales and numerous open sores on it. Her eyes were blood red, her gums were green, and she had needle-like teeth. And he fucked that? (laughs) Jack... (laughs) <laughs> Jack Jack said that the demon he's like paralyzed but he gets he gets like a, an erection I guess and the demon then proceeds to mount him and ride him climaxing several times Whoa. and then is like the last time she comes she vanishes Jack would recount this story on several talk shows much to the light of the audience but much to his embarrassment like Ed would go on to say that, like, Jack doesn't like to talk about this because... At least it wasn't a blowjob. Otherwise, he'd Jesus, have no dick. He'd have no probably. Dick. Dude, the funny, the funny thing is, is he, you had the exact reaction. Of, he fucked that. Yeah. This is all talk shows want to talk about is him fucking this, like, scissor mouth. He came multiple times, too. You know that's in his spank bank. <laughs> But Ed would go on to say that, like, Jack is so embarrassed by this that he won't talk about it again. Uh, and, like, when it comes up later, he, like, refuses to talk about it. Uh, and ever since then, despite, or any time the family was interviewed about the incident after this, this is all the press want to talk about. And he's like, no, I'm done. I'm not talking about this anymore. I know we, I just had a good hard laugh. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. But we have to ask ourselves, like, why would someone make this shit up if it's that embarrassing? <laughs> like, yeah. It's like in the, the Snedecker family house when 
the dad is like talking about being butt fucked by the demon. And it's like, honestly, if, if this really didn't happen, you there's nothing for you to gain. Like you're gonna look ridiculous. Why don't you just change your story? But even still, he sticks to his guns. What do you think? Like, do you think this is real? What? I don't know. He's into some kinky ass shit. I don't know. <laughs> that's a far. That's a weird story, man. <laughs> that's a weird story. I don't know what to think about that. Don't ask me. Shit. It is a weird. Well, like, I'm. I'm just like, if it's made up you'd probably come up with something less embarrassing. At least I would. So I'm just like... I would have been like it was a goddess. <laughs> not a old-ass lady's head with scales of skin and sores all over her body. You would say it was like, that's less embarrassing for I you? I mean, if like, you see sores on someone's body, that's like a go-to sign to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. You know? Not fuck come multiple times. Damn. Well, she came multiple times. Apparently, he only ejaculated her one time, and that's when she vanished. But like, dude, I can't, I can't imagine making this up and that being your story. For real. Jack and Janet report uh, that these like type of assaults were all too much for them, so they decide to leave the house for a weekend and go camping in the Poconos. Now, remember earlier we talked about demons will follow you if it's demonic, and unfortunately for the family, this provides them no respite. The demon falls into the campsite and torments them in the form of a little girl. It's after this that the family realizes that there's no escaping this thing. There's even reports that uh, the demon would show up at Jack's work and harass him. So they've realized simply moving out of the home is not enough. And fuck him again. <laughs> yeah, he'll fuck him again. Uh, upon the return to the home after this camping trip, they ask the Warrens to contact Father McKenna and tell him that the exorcism failed. Dutifully, the Warrens work with Father McKenna to find a time for him to come back to the home and perform yet another exorcism. In the meantime, the assaults are getting worse. The children are being levitated over their beds at night. Things in the home are moving around. The dog is attacked, and one of the daughters is thrown clear across a room. McKenna rushes back to the home and again performs an exorcism. Just as before, things are quiet for just long enough for the family to be hopeful that it worked. Just as they're beginning to feel like they're leading a demon-free life, the knocks start again. There's whispering in the walls, and it's not long after that the attacks return with gusto. Again, the family reaches out to Father McKenna and plead for another exorcism. A third exorcism was attempted, but this time with several priests, as well as a group of parishioners from a local church. It's important to note that this exorcism does not seem to be supported by the Vatican. However, it appeared to work. No phenomena was experienced for a number of months after the, the exorcism. However, activity begins creeping in again, and the family decided, fuck it, it may try to follow us, we're going to leave and just hope for the best. While it's a week after the exorcism, we're just bailing. It's after the third attempt that the family finally decides that even though they know the demon could and had followed them, they're leaving. Their lanes, or the, uh, the Warrens would later go on to say that they assessed the demons holding the family was, strongest, was the strongest they had ever seen. Additionally, they believe that the first two exorcisms failed because it's a duplex and the father was only blessing half of the house. Oh, shit. Why so, would, if it's a family-owned house, why not just bless the whole fucking thing? That's a great point. But as he's blessing one side, the demon just simply went through the wall next door. As it demonstrated it could do and hung out and waited for shit to stop and then it went back next door when it was ready to go again. 
So the family is like, all right, we're going to reach out to the local parish again and plead for help. And once more, they're ignored. Despite the family's, despite this, or rather desperate, because they've had three failed exorcisms, the local parish won't do anything. They're like, you know what we need to do? We need to go to the press. We need to, we need to do something. Maybe if we, we tell our story publicly, someone who has an answer will come forward and they'll help us. Um, so they do that. The Warrens stated that the family turned to the press for another reason. To shame the Catholic Church into doing something to help them. The only thing uh, that going to the press accomplishes, however, is simply putting the family under the microscope of public eye. The street they live in turns into a circus with the media literally camping out on their front lawn, hoping to catch a glimpse of the demon that's been harassing them for years. It's after they attract this level of attention that Jack and Janet uh, decide they're not going to continue making a public plea for assistance. So they, they stop. They're like, we're not talking to the press. Uh, one, one, like, Ed interjects at one point. He's like, none, none of the media can talk to the family unless you talk to me first. So he becomes kind of like the gatekeeper. So they're, I, can't, I can't imagine how awful that would be. They're trying to find a new house. They're not having any luck. Meanwhile... They're doing all they can to find help with the, the horrible situation they're dealing with in their own home, and they're getting nowhere. One good thing did come out of this. Lorraine and Ed never say the man's name, but they mentioned that he owned a very large Catholic bookstore in New York City. He previously studied to become a priest in Rome, but had left the seminary for, before being ordained due to illness in his family. The man still had many contacts in Rome, so he wrote a letter to Rome letting them know what the family was experiencing. This is finally enough to get the church to act. Act. Cardinal Ratzinger, a senior member of the Catholic Church, flies an exorcist to the family's home. This time, it does the trick. The demon is finally sent packing. Not long after this, the Smurls, in conjunction with the reporter from their local newspaper, and of course the Warrens, write a book about their experience. I believe it's called Haunted. So... That's the story as I've laid it out for you because it's largely based on the book, what the Warrens had happened, where, where there are conflicting viewpoints on what occurred inside the home. You betcha. I can read some for you if you'd like. Sure. Professor Paul Kurtz of State University of New York at Buffalo and then chairman of the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal said that Warrens weren't objective, independent, or impartial investigators and characterized the Smurls' claims as a hoax, a charade, and a ghost story. Kurt said that family's claims were possibly due to delusions, hallucinations, or brain impairment and advised that they submit themselves to psych psychiatric or psychological, psychological examination. Jack Smurl told the newspaper that before he had surgery to remove water from his brain in 1983 because he'd been experiencing short-term memory loss due to a case of meningitis in his youth. Allentine's town psychologist Robert Gordon commented that people often look at demonology to explain many tensions now that they experience as an individual within their families. Spokespeople for the Roman Catholic Church, Diocese of Scranton, said that they were unsure what might be causing the disturbances. St. Bonaventure University theology professor Alfonso Therabold, uh, OFM, which I think is like an order of the Catholic Church, said there might be other less demonic explanations the home was blessed by several priests who said that they saw no harmful activity while on the property. Janet Smurl claimed an unidentified priest performed three unsuccessful exorcisms and that the demon avoided the rites by moving between the double-block home and the following family to other locations, 
1986, a priest from the local diocese spent two nights at the Smurl home and said nothing unusual happened during his stay there. Also in 1986, a pastor of Immaculate Conception Parish in West Pittston, Reverend Joseph Adianzo, said the Smurls felt that after intense prayers, things are back to normal. In 1987, Janet Smurl told reporters that they still heard knocking and saw shadows. After the Smurl family moved to the Wilkes-Barre, Deborah Owens moved into the... So after they move out, Deborah Owens moved in, and she reports nothing, never encountered anything supernatural living there. Uh, mm. So we've got a, we've got the Catholic Church, we've got a psychological uh, expert, we've got the leader of the Committee for Scientific Investigation Claims of the Paranormal, all saying there's nothing to substantiate this. And so we go back to the Warrens again. Uh, and so, But even the Warrens were calling it a hoax, weren't they? No, no, the Warrens were saying it was real. And oh. Ed, Ed would go on like multiple talk shows and be like, I have tapes, I have video. Well, where is it? Well, I sent it to this thing. I sent it to the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church would be like, we never got it. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and he was like, no, no, I, well, I sent it to this newspaper and they lost it. So that, again, as with Annabelle, as with the Snecker family haunting, the actual evidence of what the Warrens have experienced is... Vanished. Vanished or not being produced at the critical hour to definitively defend what they're saying happened in the home. And then there's people going in there and staying there saying nothing's really going on. Yeah, and then we have, like I mentioned, the the leader of the Committee for Scientific Investigation and Claims of the Paranormal saying that the Warrens are not, uh, they're not, they weren't objective, they're not independent, they're not impartial. And he's calling their assessment a hoax, a charade, and a ghost story. So really what we have to ask ourselves at this critical hour is who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe... The Warrens and the Smurls, who wrote a book to make money, which is something that always makes is a red flag for me uh, off their story, that this actually happened. Uh, or are we going to believe the Catholic Church, the scientific body, the psychological researcher, all claiming that things aren't as described by the Warrens and the Smurls in their book? I'm going to go uh, with the sex story because that's just awesome. So what does that mean? Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm obviously going with uh, not the worms because that sex story sounds fucking bullshit as fuck. Yeah, it does. They're probably definitely on some shrooms and <laughs> grabbing for attention here. Uh, and like there's all this evidence also supporting the fact that they don't have anything to back them fucking up you know yeah, so it's I, like uh, you gotta be drunk I have to agree uh, sit I would, in the dugout you stupid bitch. yeah three strikes you're out Warrens like you, you're not you're pr- producing these really sensationalized stories that like they've made great conjuring movies I'm not gonna fight you on that one they're entertaining they're scary I love them but when push comes to shove and we're like, where's the evidence? And they're like, well, we've got it. And you're like, okay, well, where is it? And the response is, well, we sent it to someone and they lost it. Or like, then you don't have it. You're, yeah, they you're, say the same thing about that dude's dick. Yeah. Ed's dick. Yeah, Ed's dick. 
Yeah. I don't know what we're talking about. I'm just he don't really with have you. it. He don't really have it, you know? Uh, it's there, though, but he don't really have the, it. Yeah, the, the simple thing here is, yeah, like, pussy. two strikes, the warns, your word is not enough. Like, in the first case with Annabelle, I was willing to give you the benefit of the doubt, but I just didn't have the evidence I wanted. Now we're, we're three cases down the line, and all you keep telling us in every one of these cases is, yes, we have the evidence. But you're not producing evidence for anything. It's not just one particular case. That makes me feel like you made the whole thing up. you got to be drunk to believe in it. Exactly. Smurl family, three strikes, you're out, Warrens. Uh, great case. I had a lot of fun with it, honestly. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with this case. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had a lot of fun with this case. It was great to be back in the studio investigating again. Uh, guys, if you have a case you want us to look up, please submit it at drunklyparanormalgmail.com. We'll put up the creepy family photo on our Instagram, uh, and I'll include the link to the interview that I watched because it was just fucking bizarre uh, about this family. Not the dick. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to get into the, the fucking demons. We're not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Uh, so please follow us at uh, Instagram slash drunklyparanormal or whatever it is. Brittany can correct it. She's good at that. Uh, but thanks, guys, for joining us for yet another episode. As always, I'd like you to remind you to be responsible and don't drink and drive. And home, stay fucked up. <laughs>